0: Everyone, welcome to the Cultivate podcast from the Grove Church, and I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there. And again, so thankful that you are joining us. And we are still, uh, we are getting close to the end of a pretty long series that we've been doing on deconstruction and kind of what that meant. We kind of spent the first few weeks just kind of talking about what does it mean, like why why are people kind of walking away from church or really starting to question things about their faith. of talked a little bit of the why of it, I spent some time talking about kind of how we as a church can just do a better job, of just kind of loving and encouraging and being empathetic with people who are making those kinds of choices or struggling in some way. We've talked a little bit about how we can rebuild. And kind of along with this, we've been doing a series, a sermon series at our church. I encourage you, if you've only listened to the podcast, check those out. And if this is your first episode and you've kind of missed all of this, I would encourage you to go back. But in our series, we can talking about, you know, how do we really a lot about how do we rebuild? What are the main tenets of faith that we need to rebuild? What are kind of some of the main habits that we need to have, that we need to reclaim? And with each one of those five sermons, I feel like there's always, there's been a real question, that kind of a philosophical question of sorts, be it theological or practical, that I feel like you're not really able to address in a sermon. To kind of, We kind of intro the topic, you don't have enough time to really Delve into some of these deeper questions. And so these last few weeks have just kind of paralleled some of those things where we've kind of talked about Jesus being the only way. We've talked a little bit about the the problem of evil, you know, and and last time we 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 talked about can you do the Christian life alone? Do you really need church? Right. And so today this is kind of partners with a sermon that Mark did around the idea of evangelism. And we intentionally, in the sermon, we didn't really kind of, you know, we didn't really push the idea of the word of evangelism. We really, kind of just talked about the idea of is it, you know, are we are we called? Is it right? Are we supposed to bring Jesus to people? You know, we talked about Jesus being the hope, the hope that we really have in a world that is completely and totally broken. What is our responsibility to 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 tell other people? about what we believe about Jesus. And as always I just love when Mark talks on this topic about us bringing hope and life to people who need it. I always love what he has to say. But as you kind of we dig a little deeper into that, just probably for some of you even the use of the word evangelism is kind of like what and you know because evangelism can have a very um kind of a negative connotation to it like I'm trying to push my ideas onto somebody. I'm trying to convert somebody. You know, there's, you know, we have we have images of of you know, maybe some people have the images of the of the like the literal original crusades. I'm going to force someone to become a Christian. Or maybe even the evangelistic, you know, smaller sea crusades that happened where we're trying to get people to convert. Or maybe you have a you have some experience with or just some knowledge about what you believe to be maybe harmful short-term mission trips where white people go to other parts of the world and try to convert them not just simply to Jesus, but into kind of a Western worldview and lifestyle. And so the idea of evangelism, I'm going to share the gospel with someone, has a real just kind of negative negative connotation negative feel of like like is this the is this okay and i think at its core i think it is important to understand this that the message of jesus christ that jesus came to bring hope to the world that jesus came to pay the penalty for sin that jesus is the answer to the brokenness of the world there's just kind of at its core level of course people need to know about it. If it's true, people need to know about it. And in fact, if if there is hope and people are hopeless, it is important to give them that hope. There was, back before there was such a thing as a viral video, there was a viral video that went around before that was as popular as it was. I don't know if you're familiar with the, the magic duo of Penn and Teller. But they are famous magicians and have been for a very, very long time and are also relatively well known for being atheists. And um, there was this video where the, where the, you know, there's of uh, those, if you're familiar with them, there's the one that talks and the one that doesn't. So the one that talks, Pen, had somebody share the gospel with him. And he was talking about that he wasn't really personally offended by that, even though he disagrees with it, thinks it's nonsense or whatever. And he just kind of gave this really, a fairly passionate defense for the importance of Christian evangelism from an atheist who doesn't believe any of it. And basically says, okay, if your worldview says that the only hope that we have in this world or the next is is through Jesus Christ, that is in fact necessary it, of, of course, he would want to tell, tell other people. And in fact, you should receive it as a compliment. And it was just kind of this interesting thing that was kind of at least being passed around in Christian circles of his kind of defense for somebody sharing Jesus with him. And so from our perspective, I mean, if we really do believe the three theological tenets that we've talked about, that um, God genuinely loves us, but we broke the world, and the only hope that we have because of the brokenness of this world is in Jesus, then we should want as many people as we can to know about it. And so I think conceptually, I I, I don't think that the world needs to know who Jesus is and the life that he offers. People need to know. I, I don't think that that should necessarily be controversial for people who genuinely believe what Jesus taught and genuinely believe in the gospel. Now, if, if you believe that Jesus is kind of one of many different ways to God and can ha- however you understand God and however you um, think you can connect to him, whatever you believe is good. If you believe, you know, oh, as long as you believe something and you're sincere, as long as you have some kind of, faith that you're going to be okay. If you believe that Jesus is not the answer, but Jesus is an answer, then I then I understand. Like why you've already found an answer, why do you need a different one? I understand that. And we talked about this a couple of episodes ago about whether or not Jesus is the only way or kind of one of the ways we rephrased it was did Jesus have to die for us or were there other ways to kind of be reconciled to God apart from that? And if you don't believe that, then yes, then then evangelism is kind of it can be considered be considered rude. It could be considered pushy. I mean, you you could just talk about what your life is like, and they can tell you what their life is like, and we can just kind of share stories. But the idea that someone needs to hear this and needs to make a decision based on it can be kind of rude if they've already got it figured out and they just figured it out a different way. Because then it just becomes like somebody coming to you like, "Well, you're loading the dishwasher," and it's like, "No, we don't put plates there. No, no, we 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 put we put all the forks together." It's like, man, I'm just washing the dishes. There's lots of ways to get the dishes clean. Don't come over here and tell me how I need to wash the dishes just because you think you found some better way. There's a certain arrogance to it. But if we operate on the premise that that Jesus is the only hope that this world has, then bringing Jesus to people is kind and compassionate. But what do we mean by that? What do we mean by that? Bring Jesus to people. Because you know there's there's a thing there's a, there's a phrase that gets thrown out in a lot of circles oh yes you we know, we need to we need to share Jesus with people but only when necessary use words or if 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 we have to use words right and the idea there being that by by our lifestyle we live in such a way that shows Jesus or through compassionate works we show Jesus's love but that's different than a need to kind of verbally talk about Jesus. Now, you're not going to hear me say anything negative about living an attractive lifestyle that draws people to Jesus. And you're certainly not going to see me to say anything negative about bringing, t- bringing the love of Jesus to people in very tangible ways. In fact, the Bible talks about that. James, The, B- the book of James talks about that. And what good is it to tell somebody, God bless you, if they're hungry and you don't give them any food like what on earth is the point of that? That that a real faith is going to have a lifestyle that matches it, both in its in your internal qualities and in the way that you externally love people. Of course, those things are of absolute importance, and we see this in the life of Jesus. I mean, there is there is a very, I mean, we we see this all the time. And the the one that's kind of been on my mind as I've been getting ready for this is is Jesus healing these. 10 men of leprosy Jesus was just kind of he was on his way to Jerusalem and these these 10 lepers came to him and said Jesus have pity on us and and he healed all 10 of them and nine of them walked away without saying thank you they didn't acknowledge him they didn't really say thanks there there was no there was no there was nothing in it for Jesus it wasn't he wasn't adding to his number he wasn't talking to them about god he just simply they knew who he could heal they hollered at him. He healed them, and none of them ran away. But then one of them came back and was praising God, and he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. This is in Luke chapter 17, and and Jesus asked, "You know, where are the where are the other ones? Right? I mean, you know." And so he he, he healed. He healed without qualification. It wasn't. He didn't have to. You know. He wasn't like, okay, I'm I'm going to heal you, but first you got to listen to this sermon. Or something like that. And I'm only going to heal you if you believe. He healed and loved and brought real tangible hope to people without any spiritual preconditions. And nine of them didn't want any of anything necessarily to do with Jesus other than what he gave them. And you know, you know, it seemed to, you know, Jesus asked, Where, Where'd everybody else go? Like it, it doesn't seem like he's it seems like he's troubled by that that they that they took one thing but then he had something deeper and greater offer them that they weren't even really interested in but one guy came back to to thank him and started praising God and responded and responded spiritually to the physical thing that Jesus did and this is a great example of what we're talking about i want to bring tangible hope to people and and through that hopefully they're going to have a response to where they want to have a spiritual encounter with God because of that. And so this is just kind of one of the many examples of of Jesus's behavior that starts like that, where he just unconditionally feeds, he unconditionally heals, he unconditionally helps people. And then some people choose then to respond by wanting to hear what he has to say, and some people choose not to. And so people will say, well, then this should be the pattern. The challenge with that is it is not the only interactions that Jesus has with people. This is not the only way that Jesus ever interacts. If we go to John chapter four, we have probably what would be considered by people who have struggles with, you know, hey, you're supposed to you know, just help people and not necessarily talk. You don't want to push your worldview on people, those kinds of things. Probably the one that will challenge people with that perspective the most is found in John chapter four. It is when Jesus talks with the Samaritan woman. So in this story, in John chapter four, verse four of chapter four, they were they were heading. They left Judea and were trying to go to Galilee. And in verse four said, "Now he had to go through Samaria." Now that's not true. It's not literally true that he had to go through um, Samaria. He could have physically gone around it. And so the fact that it says he had to do this has a certain level of impact to it because he, in a a most literal sense, he didn't have to. So whatever this have to was, this have to go through Samaria was something internal to Jesus in part with his mission and his desires, what he knew was going to happen, an encounter that he wanted to have. And so he sends everybody away to get food and it's just him out by this well and a Samaritan woman comes and he says to her, will you give me a drink? And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? Verse 10 If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And so he goes straight to her. She has needs, and we're going to find out about it. She's been an outcast in her city for a while, she's been through a lot of really difficult relationships. Um, Jesus going to call her out on some some sin that she's having with 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 marriage and divorce and living with a guy she's not married to. He's going to say some things that are really kind of challenging. I mean, we'll just well, I mean I'm, I know I'm skipping around here, but in verse sixteen he says, "Go call your husband and come back." And she says, "I have no husband." And Jesus said to her, "You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true." And that's, and that's not that's not the kind that's not the kind thing that Jesus would usually say, or at least our perception of him. It's kind of a bit of a challenge to her, you know, of 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 kind of where where she stands. And so he meets her, and his first response is to ask her for something, and then he starts talking to her immediately about the living water that he provides. And so she's like. I don't even know what you're talking about, man. I mean, I mean, you don't even have a bowl. Are you going to give me water? It's like, no, the water I'm talking about. Verse 13, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so he's 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 engaging her in spiritual conversation. She thinks they're still talking about water. It's like, give me some of that. And that's when he says, hey, well, go get your husband first. And he's like, I don't have a husband. And then he kind of puts that sharp rebuke on her. And then she's like, oh, I see, verse 19. I see, you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus replied and said, hey, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. And then verse 22, he says this, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. He says, you're worshiping God, but you don't know him. And so in the course of this interaction, we see Jesus does not lead with a compassionate act of service, of healing, of feeding in some way. He calls this woman out on a sin and then then ultimately says, hey, your worship of God is not real because you don't really know who God is. And so all of those things are things that would be for people who object to the idea of sharing your faith with someone, telling people about Jesus, asking them to make a decision to follow Jesus, all the things, all, most of the elements there of that people can find offensive or challenging are actually present here, at least in this one story. And so this is something that Jesus did. Now, you might would say, in the totality, Jesus led with compassion. In the totality Jesus um he 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 was he was a primarily a server and absolutely all of that is true. But I think it is also important to understand that Jesus had objectives with people. He wanted them to know who he was and he wanted them to have this life. Even in this story, this story is full of compassion. The story begins with Jesus going out of his way to make sure that he could have this encounter with this woman. He initiated a conversation with someone who was a social outcast. He initiated a conversation with somebody, even though his race believed that their race was inferior. His race, in general, believed that these people were not good people. And he's a guy, he's a man talking to a woman. Everything about this was socially and structurally wrong But out of a love and compassion for her, he broke down racial and gender barriers in order to have a legitimate conversation to see someone who was typically unseen. The reason why she was alone getting water, she came at the hottest time of the day when no one would do this. So she was an outcast. She was hurting. And Jesus went out of his way to have an encounter with her. So even in that, there is a lot of compassion that comes from Jesus. But his, his agenda, such as it is, his agenda is to talk to her about her faith. And so even in this one that is most direct, we do see the compassion of Jesus. But you also see that there are times when Jesus, wants to, when Jesus leads with faith. We'll see it in the chapter before that, John chapter 3, in his interactions with Nicodemus, where it's just, it is just exclusively a theological one. And then there, there are times when Jesus, we'll see a little bit later in John, John heals this blind guy and doesn't even tell him anything. And then this guy comes back and is like, hey, man, you healed me, man. Like, I didn't really want to know who you are. And so even in the context of just the book of John, just within a few chapters, we're gonna see all sorts of ones. You see in John chapter three with Nicodemus, someone comes to him and wants to have a theological conversation. We see Jesus initiating a theological conversation with someone. And with the healing of the blind man, we will see Jesus heal someone unconditionally, and then they'll bounce back around, and then he has the theological conversation with them. All methods are used by Jesus in different times, in different contexts, for different people, for different reasons. And I think, big picture, we need to understand that it is of of importance. If we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world, that we need to bring Jesus to people in the world, both in our local circles um, and to the, all over the world. We want to bring the hope of Jesus to people. And so now it's really the question, to me to me, the real question is not whether or not it is important to, to bring Jesus to people because one, that's what he told. He told us to do it. He said we were the light of the world. And that the light of the world, and, that, and because of that we shouldn't be hidden, and that we should shine that light. We should shine our light in such a way that people can see it. And Jesus mentions that both in what we say and then in what we do. He mentions in the Great Commission how important it is that we need to go everywhere that we go. We need to tell people about who Jesus is and what He did, and we want them to be baptized and want them to find hope and life. We see this. Jesus commands this. He it's it's a description of Him. And it only makes sense if Jesus is the hope that this world has. And so if all of that's true, though, it is a really, really important question to ask and say, what is the, what is the most appropriate way to do this? Because there's a lots of things that can be called evangelism, all the way from not saying anything at all about Jesus and just doing kind acts of service. All the way to some of the most reprehensible people standing on street corners saying horrible things or walking around with placards, protesting funerals, going in the middle of college campuses and standing on stools and yelling hurtful things at people. And all of that can fall under the, the category of evangelism. You can go on a short-term mission trip to say that you're gonna do evangelism and hey, you get you get we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna hold a clinic for you or we're gonna we're going to we're going to provide food for you but first you have to listen to this sermon and then it's like and or people who are just there's really aggressive tactics there's really shaming tactics and we, so there's lots of things that people can do that call themselves evangelism just because evangelism bringing jesus to people is good conceptually and just because there are times that jesus does it really without any prequalifications or any sort of you know acts of kindness beforehand that doesn't mean that anything that we do under the umbrella of evangelism is good right i want you to hear me say that because there is there are a lot of ways that we can do damage to people there is a there is there is arrogance that can come there's hurtful tactics there's hurtful things that you can say there's hurtful attitudes that you can have there there really is there can be some colonialism that can that can attach to missions. It certainly has happened historically over the last 2000 years. All of those things are absolutely true, but just because something can be done poorly or just because historically something has been done poorly doesn't mean that it shouldn't be done in the same way that people have done acts of physical compassion of, of bringing medical care or food to people with with bad motives and hurtful ways doesn't mean the thing in and of itself is bad because bad people have brought food doesn't mean good people shouldn't bring food just because bad people have brought Jesus to people doesn't mean that good people shouldn't bring Jesus to people and so I really do I would I would encourage you I mean I mean if you if you've hung around here with us at all or you know us at all you'll understand that we are a we're a fairly gentle church And we do have physical outreaches that have zero strings attached to them. We have given away, oh man, goodness, by now, maybe tens of thousands of dollars worth of food um, to people through our food pantry. And we don't have any evangelism tracks in there. We don't have any sermons in there. We don't have anybody. there's, There's nothing. I mean, obviously they know it came from a church. It sits in front of a church. And obviously, they know Jesus is involved because they know what a church is, but we're not asking anything of them. And we have had several people come and be a part of our church, at least for a week or two, or people that we're able to have conversations with. And there's lots of good that comes from that. But we're also encouraging people to invite their friends to church where we talk about Jesus. We're encouraging people to feel like that they can confidently share their story with people. We have, we have taken small groups of people overseas. It is very important to us that we be known as gentle, that we be known as compassionate, that we be known as people who are not arrogant, who are not forcing anything on anyone. But it is also very important to us as a church that we bring the hope of Jesus Christ to people who need it by all of the good methods we can think of. Through, through service, through acts of kindness, through sharing of stories, through inviting to church. We want people to have this hope. We believe that hope is found in Jesus Christ and we want people to find it. Some people think actually our church should be more aggressive. If you really believe that hope is only found in Jesus, we should be more aggressive with it. I've gotten that criticism from people in our church way more than I get the criticism that, that we've been too aggressive with it. But it's really, it's not a question of whether or not I believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. It's a question of, I know that Jesus is the hope of the world. What is the best tactic to bring that hope to people that live in our community? And a kind, gentle touch, um, uh, a non-pressuring stance, but just one that just demonstrates genuine love and concern for people in their totality. and. And sometimes a verbal message of the need for Jesus comes with it. That's just the best approach. It is the kindest approach. It is the most it's 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 best strategically. It's the kindest. It seems the one that is most in line with most of what Jesus does. And so you may not even consider that evangelism. If it's not, great. Let's just throw out the word, which to me, the, the word's not important a word can have baggage a word can 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 bring up you know negative pictures it's not about the word it is about the call that god has on our life to bring hope the hope of jesus christ to people in both tangible and intangible ways so i think it is of critical importance to our mission as a church and i think it is something that we need to incorporate individually into our lives the ability to take overt acts in the name of Jesus to kind of help love and serve people and to have the ability to both initiate and to respond to um, theological conversations about why you believe in Jesus. Again, you see the Nicodemus, Jesus responding to questions in the the Samaritan woman. He initiates the conversation and what the, and what, and what the lepers and the, and the blind man that he heals, he, um, he, he does an unconditional act of service and people respond to it. We see Jesus using all of these different methods in order to bring the hope and the message of hope that he had to these people. And we are called to be like Jesus and we're to do the same. By all of these methods, with wisdom and discernment and kindness and compassion, God is calling us to bring Jesus to people who, who need it. And so I pray, I would just pray for you that, 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 that God would grow you in your ability to be able to do that. Even, even um, in, in, in just, just in small ways, just through prayer, through, through acts of service, that you would find ways to, to, to bring hope and life to the people that God puts in front of you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for, 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 for joining us in that. We'd love to connect with you on a Sunday. Um, you can find all the information you need about our church at thegrovechurch.org slash connect. There's a little form you can fill out. Let us know that you've been listening. You can plan a visit there. Um, if you're not local, you can go there as well and learn about our streaming. You can join us, still join us on a Sunday and kind of connect with us more there. Um, if you have any questions, comments, anything, I'd always love to hear them. Charlie at thegrovechurch.org. Love to hear about um, anything that's going on with you, any way that we can help you, serve you. uh, We would love to be able to do it. Again, I'm Charlie, the lead pastor at the Grove Church, and thanks for joining us.